Hello and welcome to NUFC Matters. Today we've had a bit of a role reversal. As you can see, I'm hosting the show. Usually it's Steve hosting the show and I'm happy to say that today we're eventually doing Steve's dream team. Looking forward to seeing who he's selected. Um, so obviously he'll be choosing a manager, a starting eleven, and a bench of players. Should be an interesting watch. So Steve, we'll start off with your first player and we'll start with the goalkeeper. Wow. Um this has took some doing and it's it's easier when I'm the one presenting the show and asking other people because I can just sit back and watch the pressure there under. But uh, believe you me, this has been every bit as difficult uh, as it has for everybody else. Um, but I've enjoyed it. It's been great um, putting the team down and, and, and trying to work it all out. But the um, the goalkeeper, um, and it's it's a difficult one for me because I could go with, I could go with goalkeepers who've who've been the best as far as service is concerned, you know, length of games played, um, you know, particular games that they played, which which were outstanding. But I think everybody knows my connection with this particular person and, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see why I've picked them. Um, my goalkeeper is Pavel Cernicek. And, you know, Pavel played a, a great part in that entertainer's team. He, he came in... As a as, as a as a foreign player who you know essentially was wearing tracksuit bottoms, he was he was coming off his line. He was a continental keeper, you know, a typical continental keeper, and he was he was laughed at. I've got to be honest, by a lot of Newcastle fans, um, people would moan and groan when he came off his line because you know ultimately it would end in a goal. And I think really because of that rise from you know being the the, the clown of the team to, to be in the top class keeper that he became, I think it probably makes it even more, um, you know, fitting that I have him as my goalkeeper. But he was he was in goal for that that wonderful entertainers period, and we said it many many times on this show. But Newcastle didn't win anything then. Um, it feels like we did. We should have done, but we didn't. And I think the outstanding qualities that Pav had were. Communication, you know, you could hear him um, as a supporter. Fitness, I don't think there was anybody when he was playing for Newcastle or afterwards was as fit as Pav, especially for a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers can, you know, can be a little bit, um, maybe he's a little bit less fit. You, you know, they don't have to run around on the pitch all the time. They've just got to be ready and, and willing to, put their, you know, put themselves into positions to, you know, to stop the ball going into the back of the net and, you know, hoing themselves hoing them around, hoing themselves around on the ground, put themselves at risk. But Pavel was really fit. Um and I, I just think as well he he just he just had something about him. And and, and I guess that the goalkeeping tops, I mean that's my favourite one there. Um again we're just uh we're, you know we're just they were garish at times but they were they were just fittingly his. We've never seen a goalkeeper before or since who, who would wear such outlandish styles. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the relationship that I built up with him after he'd retired and, you know, you know, the talkings we did when he came back to Newcastle and, you know, subsequently the, you know, the, the death of Pavel after, you know, we had built up a good relationship off the pitch and, and I'd become his agent. Um, makes it really impossible for me to pick anybody else. And, uh, you know, he, he was a great guy. 
I'm, I'm honoured to say that he was a friend and there was no other uh, person who I really could have picked as, as goalkeeper, Holly. I think many people would go with Pavel Cernicek. I think he's remembered very, very well with Newcastle fans. Like you said, the shirts are pretty much just as iconic as he is. Um, Pavel is a Geordie, as the saying goes, and I think he'll be remembered forever. So it's a really, really good first pick. Um, have you gone for a 4 4 yeah, I'm afraid I'm stuck in my ways. Yeah. Um, I went four four two as a Sunday league manager and, um, you know, I'm never going to change. And it made it awkward, really, I've got to be honest, to, to get one or two in. There's a few players I could have played and would have had to have been out of position. But, you know, it, it started to fall into place. But, yeah, I, I went for a four four two. Yeah, classic formation. So we'll start with your first centre-back then. Okay, my first centre-back. Um, and again, this probably shows my age. I'm going to be 50 next year. And we've had some some really good centre-halves over the years. We've had some awful centre-halves over the years. And we've had some bang-average centre-halves over the years. And I've always felt that a centre-half should be somebody who can not only play the game and read the game, but can also captain the team. Um, so... It made it quite easy for me in the sense of who was going to be me, me first centre-half because this person was a leader of men. Um, he was my first captain at Newcastle United, uh, somebody who um, you know I witnessed take the team to promotion and subsequently cement a position in the, the old first division. Actually took us top of the league after three games uh, under Jack Charlton as skipper, um, but, but also had... A, a rather unique style, as well as being a leader of the a leader of the team. Um, he had the the infamous shuffle, and that, of course, is Glenn Roder. Um, you know, a lovely, lovely guy, a top guy, um, on and off the pitch, but a man who didn't suffer fools gladly, and a man who ultimately, um, you know, did it all at Newcastle because he he didn't just play for Newcastle, but he but he also came back and and came back in as a caretaker and ultimately then a, a full-time Newcastle United manager so he joins the you know the unique hall of fame of being somebody who has only not only played for the club captained the club but also managed the club and that puts him in a unique little group of of people and um for a, for a Londoner and, and we've got to bear in mind that a lot of the time um you know this when there's criticism of Newcastle as a club or Newcastle as a place on or or the Newcastle fans to say that we, we, you know, we're against Cockneys, we don't like to see Cockneys and Cockneys will never settle here. Um, it's utter rubbish because, you know, Glenn Roder is another prime example of somebody who travelled north and, you know, loved it up here and we loved him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that picture there is is just synonymous with what he brought to Newcastle United as a as a player and as a captain. He was, he was fantastic. And the Roder shuffle... Um, you know, it was a unique move, almost almost like the Beardsley Jinx. You had the road a shuffle, and you know, he was just cool, calm, and collected when he, he took the ball out. He, he'd have an upright style, and, and it was just everything you were taught at football, everything you were taught at school. Um, you know, as a youngster, you know, look up, you know, look at who you're passing the ball to, and then you know, he just had but he had it all. He had he had grace, he had style, um, he could get stuck in, and he pitched in with the odd goal every now and then. So, yeah, Glenn Roder is not only my first centre-half, but he is also the captain of my dream team as well. Very, very solid captain. 
Um, I think it's off to a good start. But yeah, definitely go good pick there. Um, so we'll start with well, we'll continue with your second centre back. Second centre back. Um, I could have picked any one of three uh, who who came to me mind at first. I mean, I think what becomes apparent with my team is that it's it's pretty much it's pretty much stuck in its in in particular eras. Um, and that's because really the the players that have come after that haven't really done enough to impress me, um, and and haven't really had the the same kind of you know elevated success in the leagues, if you like. Um, and again, it's about parents as well, because although I could say such and such and such and such are, are good players, they should be in my team, you then start thinking about how these people would actually play together. And, and that becomes that becomes an issue as well. So you have to pick somebody, I think, who you know is, is, is going to complement Glenn's style, um, but is also going to, you know, to, to carry the, the natural attributes who you know, would be able to step in if Glenn was missing, for example. So... I started thinking more with the manager's head on. Um, my next centre-half was somebody essentially who gave, um, you know, well over a decade's service to, to the cause and and who, um, you know, made the jump from, you know, Wearside to, to Tyneside, um, you know, albeit at young level. Um, and, you know, blossomed here. Um, he was part of the... You know the the young uh, breed of players that came through in the time of our dealers, and um, you know somebody who you know naturally developed in uh, into a, a centre half after first being played uh, up front at Newcastle. Um, you know the height and his his um, you know his capabilities were were there for all to see when he was originally a centre forward, but um, but he, he was eventually put back into uh, into defensive duties and. Um, he flourished, and I think he flourished more under Kevin Keegan than than many than many others. And um, my second my second centre half is is Steve Howie. I think um, with Steve, you got commitment. Um, again, somebody who read the game well, still reads the game well when he plays in charity games. Very competitive, doesn't like to lose, um, and also willing to play through the pain barrier. Somebody who um, ultimately. Um, you know, would give his all for the black and white. And it's all the more commendable when, you know, you think that, you know, he, he came from from a Sunderland background, you know. I mean, his brother, of course, played for Sunderland. And, um, you know, Steve is, you know, one of the prime examples of somebody who who could come from, you know, from that area and, and, and you know, do us proud. And, um, again, through Newcastle Legends, he's become... You know, uh, a good friend of mine. He's done a lot for me over the years, and um, we've worked together on, on numerous occasions. And I think when you get to know him as well, he's he's quite a humorous character, you know. And you, you know, I think in the dressing room especially, whereas Glenn Rhoda would be quite quiet and you know be be telling you what he wanted to do on the pitch. Um, I think away from football, I think Steve Howie's a very sociable kind of guy. And I think he would bring in the laughs and the jokes and the, you know, the the fines and that kind of thing in the dressing room. And I think he would be a he will be a key member in that dressing room for for keeping the camaraderie going. And you need that because in in every team, um, you know, you you need to have that camaraderie. You need somebody to be organising the the nights out. You need somebody to be organising the you know the laughs and the jokes. You need somebody to organise the entertainment on the bus. You know, there's 
everyone plays a part within a team. And I just think Steve would bring that. He also brings the local, the local knowledge, um, you know, the local um, know-how. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, he's a valuable asset, but he was a great player as well. And I mean, again, part of that infamous entertainers team who should have won the league, um, but didn't. Um, got us to cup final as well, uh, cup finals in the, in, in the late 90s. Um, and somebody, as I say, gave us the best years, uh, the best years of his career. And, and and again, that for me is worthy of him of being in that team. And I think they would both complement each other in style, him and Glenn. Um, you know, they would both know their jobs. Uh, and with Pavel behind them, um, you know, barking orders and, and keeping them right. Because as a goalkeeper, you get the best view of everything in front of you. Um, I think that's a, a fairly solid partnership. Yeah, I agree. And I've had the pleasure of meeting Steve Howie before. He's a great guy, like you said. And I think I've never had the pleasure of watching him um, in real life, watch a lot of old games back. But I think the word to describe Steve Howie is he's just a grafter and he always put 100% in. So, yeah, I think those two together would work very, very well. Um, moving on now to your left back. Who have you went as left back, Steve? The full backs I found the most difficult. Um, and the reason being that we haven't been blessed with great full backs you know, since 1983, 84, when, which of course was my first season. Um, and, and again, it's about, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to get the best players in, uh, but also players who are going to complement the, the two centre-halves and, and who are going to work hard. So it, again, as well, when you go for a 4-4-2, you need certain, certain types of players uh, in there. So my left-back goes to somebody who was a versatile player, uh, somebody who could have, Done a job in midfield, uh, but could also do a job, you know, at fullback. Could have even filled in, really, at centre half for us. And um, somebody who was an international, somebody who did very well at international level, um, and somebody who uh, uh, often says on the after dinner circuit there, if it hadn't been for him, then you know, Kevin Keegan would never have come to Newcastle. As soon as he heard this player was going to Newcastle, uh, Kevin had no uh, no doubts that uh, St James's Park was the place for him. But um, yeah. My, uh, my left back um, is John Anderson. And uh, of course, John is somebody who we all know now does BBC Radio Newcastle. He used to work a, a lot of years with Mick Lowe's, of course, who does a UFC matters for us. But uh, Ando was, um, you know, he was 150%. Um, and he would put, um, you know, he would know when to put the man into Rosehead. He would know when to put the ball into Rosehead. Um, but he, he, again, read the game and he, he'd give you 150%. I would... I would say a very, you know, somebody who's probably not quite as good as Ando it, it is Paul Dummett. You know, Paul Dummett's very similar. Just a good, solid, rugged defender who gets stuck in um, and who can, you know, physically match you, um, could get stuck in. He wasn't blessed with a lot of pace, Ando, um, and he played... He played in those days when, of course, you know there was a there was headbutts flying around, there was flying elbows, there was uh, tackles knee high, um, and you know maybe people might think he wouldn't be able to adapt his game, but he was an intelligent footballer as well, Ando. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty sure with any rule changes, Ando would be able to adapt and, and fit in no problem. But uh, yeah. Again, international experience, um, you know, many, many caps for, for Ireland. Um, and again, somebody who, you know, on a social aspect would have a, uh, would have a night out, um, you know, and, and would, would, keep, would keep the morale up. But again, not afraid to speak his mind. And of course, played, played alongside Glenn, um, you know, as well. So I think, 
you know, the, 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 you know, the combination of Glenn and Ando I've seen personally, I know how well that worked. And, you know, if there was injuries or whatever, I think Ando could be switched from full back into centre half or he could do you a job as a defensive midfielder if need be. So for me, um, Ando, uh, you know, was one of my favourite players. And I, I told you my team would be a little bit like that, you know, that, you know, it's players who give 100% sometimes are, are worth their weight in gold. It's it's why modern day, um, you know, not that he has made me dream team. Um, somebody like Matt Ritchie always stands out to me because of his work rate, his graft and, you know, um, you know, I just think those kind of players are hard to find. They're so hard to find. And Ando would run through a brick wall for you. He'd be one of the first names on your team sheet. Um, and again, somebody who could fit in as a captain if need be, if if, if Rhoda was missing. So, yeah, I've got no issues with having Ando in there. And, um, you know, you know, I'm just, again, delighted to say that I saw him play in his prime. I think that's all we want as fans, players that do put their all in, give 100% all the time. I think that's all you can ask of a player. Um, now we almost have your complete defence on your fourth and final defender. Who have you got? This guy really had a, um, you know, an interesting time at Newcastle. Again, it's another member of the entertainers team. Somebody who, um, you know, didn't duck criticism. I think it's probably the way they put it because he didn't always have, um, a, a, you know, a, a, an easy ride at Newcastle United. He was a divisive player amongst the supporters at times, uh, but when the going was good, um, you know, it's easy to coast along when the going's against you to still go on and, and put in 100% when you're pulling the black and white shirt on is something which, you know, which is not easy, but he did. Um, Warren Barton makes up me back four. He, and again, right back, um, you know, you, you had you had two good, you know, good fullbacks in that entertainers team. You had Warren Barton and you had John Beresford. Um, and for me, you know, Warren just, you know, he, he was just a class act. And I mean, he came from he came from Wimbledon. So, you know, we we'd had a history in, in those in the years previous to that of buying players from Wimbledon. I mean, when when Wimbledon won the FA Cup. We basically dismantled their FA Cup winning team, but we took some of the players who, you know, just didn't fit in at Newcastle. We signed Dave Besant, who was the, the goalkeeper who got lobbed virtually every game in the relegation season. We signed Andy Thorne, the centre-half, who, you know, God bless him, was probably the best player we signed from there, but he just he, he just wasn't he just wasn't up to scratch. We we signed Glenn Hodges again, you know, I think he lasted eight odd days or something. So we, we you know, the money we spent we wasted and, and we didn't get the best. So I think there was a little bit of Woman and Aram when we signed uh, Warren, and I mean it was a it was a it was a big transfer fee at the time as well. Uh, but when he came in, he hit the ground running, and again he just added to the he added to the, the players around us. It was the next step from you know being promoted and Keegan taking us from the, the the old second division into the Premier League, and then you know going you know going on, he became part of that journey. And we'd had Mark Ottinger, um who you know had a, a couple of seasons in Newcastle, who'd done well, but. I think that um, you know Warren came in, he, he established and made that that role his own. Um, he captained the team at, at certain times, um, and again, it's another Londoner, somebody who came from down south, who essentially, you know, just fell in love with Newcastle, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the people, and um, you know the respect was mutual. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a fairly solid back four. 
Um, you know, it's a defensive, defensively minded back four. But I think when you play four at the back, you need that. You know, your main focus as a back four is to defend um, and to get the ball, you know, under control or get it out and get it up to the midfield or get it up to the forwards to let them do what they're going to do. And um, yeah, I, I had no, you know, no qualms in making Warren uh, part of me back four. Um, he gave me, you know, many, many happy hours as a Newcastle fan. And um, I, I think the, the game and the goal that I always remember is he didn't have a great game at all. Um, it was the second 4-3 against Liverpool at Anfield, but he scored. Um, and just Google the celebration of Warren when he scores that day. It tells you how much it means to him, um, you know, notching the goal for Newcastle. Um, I think he got man of the match that day as well. And I, I think we watched, I think I remember watching it back, I think we didn't have a particularly good game, but you could see why he got man of the match. And I think when you listen to him now, you see how much Newcastle means to him. Um, you know, he, he obviously coaches now in America. Um, he's been on NUFC matters a few times, but he's somebody who essentially, um, you know, gets gets it, gets what the club means. You know, he loves the club and, and the club's fans, even though some of them won't have seen him play like yourself. You can see, you can see what you know what the club means to him, and um, you know, it'd be great to see him back at Newcastle in some capacity at some point because you know he bleeds black and white. Yeah, well, you've mentioned a couple of times that typically Geordies and Londoners don't always get along. But I think Warren Barton, as well as Rob Lee, I think it's fair to see our two players, which were definitely welcomed with open arms um, and taken on as a jo adopted Geordies, if you like. So I think he's a very, very special player. Um, moving on now to the midfield, we'll start in the central midfield. Who's your first central midfielder? Yeah, again, you know, it's not until you start jotting this down uh, that you go... Wow, can I leave him out? How would he work? You know, but again, I've I've gone down that mindset of bringing in players who I think would complement each other, um, but also players who you know were, are in my my favourite players of all time. Um, come as no surprise to see that Warren Barton is going to get some company, and you've already mentioned him, um, Rob Lee, and Rob is is an outstanding you know an outstanding player. Um, in, in in his day, um, pound for pound the best signing Newcastle ever made. And not just under Kevin Keegan, but just in our history, um, you know, to bring somebody in uh, from Charlton, um, as we did, and, you know, him to hit the ground running as he did amongst the, the esteemed players that he was playing with, um, told you about this kid's quality. He, um, I actually had quite a few programmes from from. You know, games at Charlton over the years. I was I used to collect programs, and um, he was a he was a legend down there. He was an absolute star, and um, I think he scored something in the region of sixty odd goals at Charlton in just short of three hundred appearances. And Newcastle really, really did well to, to to bring him in. And I mean, the story's been heard many, many times. You know, Kevin Keegan had a meeting with him. Middlesbrough were in for him. And Keegan actually, you know, sold him the dream of Newcastle United, but also told him that Newcastle was closer to London than Middlesbrough was. And, uh, you know, uh, Rob decided that Newcastle was the place for him. And um, I know for a fact that he knows that was the, the best decision he ever made because the next decade of his career... Uh, saw him, you know, saw him play over 300 games at Newcastle and and, and get almost 50 goals um, in his time there. I think it was something like 44, 45 goals he scored. Um, but what an absolute legend! Um, you know, he was playing for his footballing hero, which was Kevin Keegan, 
Um, and, you know, he, he got a chance to play alongside some of the biggest names and some of the best names uh, of, of that period, you know. Um, I think it was, I did a talk in a few months back with Gavin Peacock, and I think it was Gavin Peacock, of course, who had connections with Charlton, with his dad, etc., himself, who alerted Kevin to the availability and the ability of Rob Lee. And, um, you know, when Kevin went and looked at him, he said, he's the he's the guy for us. Um, ultimately, the promotion to the Premier League and then the, the, the first jaunt into Europe saw, you know, Rob Lee score um, a fantastic hat-trick in, in Antwerp, a perfect hat-trick, uh, right foot, left foot and a, and a header. Um, and, you know, the, the charge for the league, Again, you know, the uh, he was part of the infamous team that almost won the Premier League. Um, and he just got better and better and better. And I think, um, you know, the only time that he would, you know, and he would admit this, admit this, when the only time he didn't enjoy his time at Newcastle was when Daglish left and Rude Hullard came in. And, um, you know, he, he basically... You know, banned him from training with the first team. He, he you know, he took the shirt off him and, you know, he belittled him really. And... Um, he got a new lease of life, of course, under under Sir Bobby Robson. Um, and I think just the goal I remember the most, like most people, um, was was the goal at Wembley. Uh, Alan Shearer crossing the ball in, um, and you know Rob Lee scoring the goal um, to, to to get us back in that game against Chelsea in the semi final of the FA Cup. But sadly, under Sir Bobby Robson, it, it just it wasn't meant to be. I, I also remember the game that he played when um, uh, we played Brentford. I think it was. And Rob Lee scored from inside one half. And if the slightly older members of uh, the NUFC Matters fan base remember David Beckham scoring from Man United over the halfway line, well, it was further away than that. Um, but the goal was choked offside. And it was former Newcastle number nine, Joe Allen, who was offside um, on that particular day. He was coming back from an offside. And the goal got choked off, but probably the greatest goal that wasn't a goal that was scored by Rob Lee. But what he brought to the team um, was was effort, was was commitment, was goals, um, and you know you just couldn't not have him in your your Newcastle team if you'd watched him. Uh, so yeah, he's my first centre half. Well, if I was supporting Newcastle in the nineties, he certainly would have been the first name on my team sheet as well. Um, who have you gone alongside Rob Lee in the central midfield? Now, obviously, I've I've been quite, you know, lucky in the sense that I've seen a lot of legends in black and white shirts. I've seen a lot of talented players. Um, and not all of these players have probably had their best days at Newcastle um, that I've selected. Some of them maybe have, you know, prospered elsewhere or done better elsewhere. Maybe he's won a trophy elsewhere. We haven't won a trophy since 69, of course. So, so for me... I really wanted to just go with those players who I'd actually seen in the flesh and, you know, who might not have done as well at Newcastle, but certainly went on to have great careers. Uh, and this guy, you know, although he had a, a topsy-turvy career um, in 1990, he was the best player in the world. Um, and Gaza, uh, for me, uh, plays alongside Rob Lee in, in the centre of midfield. And uh, Gaza as a young Gaza that I saw influenced me quite heavily because I had quite long hair when I was a kid, believe it or not. And um, I, I was the first person I wanted to go and look like. I wanted to be like Gaza. I wanted to look like Gaza. I, I, and I copied his hairstyles quite a bit as a youngster. Um, he, was a, he was a hero. He was somebody who you could see 
was going to be special. And we went through that period of selling players and we'd sold Chris Waddle, um, who ended up, you know, getting the, the lickings of a dog whenever he came back to St. James's Park. You know, we called him a Judas. He wanted to leave. Um, then Peter Beardsley left. Now, when Beardsley left for us, that was that was awful because Beardsley was an absolute legend. He kept that team, kept that team up himself on occasions. Um, but Gaza was coming through, so the you know the sourness of losing the sourness of losing Beardsley was almost tempered by the fact that we had Gaza coming through. And for me, um, it was just a pleasure to watch him. And there's this you know my favourite goal of all time was scored by Gaza. Um, in a Newcastle shirt. A lot of people might point the a Ginola goal or a Shearer goal or a um, Peter Beardsley goal as their favourite. But my favourite goal ever um, at St James's Park was scored by Gaza. And it was Crystal Palace at home in the FA Cup. Um, and he just jinxed past a couple of players and then hit it first time. And the ball flew towards the Gallagher end, which of course didn't have a stand then. It was terracing. And the ball just stuck in the stanchion it stuck and then rattled and then dropped down. Uh, but it was a goal out of nothing. It was sheer genius. And it was just Gaza all over. He, I remember a game against Blackpool as well, where he just, you know, he oozed class that night. And um, I think it was Brian Tinian put a couple of balls through for Gaza on that night. And one of the goals he scored was just sublime. Um, there was a game against Swindon Town as well, when he rattled a brace in that day. Um, I think it was... Uh, Again, at the Gallagher end, scored another great game. And, and I think when you look back at the, at the footage of those games, you've got to appreciate how bad the pitch was. Um, you know, if it was bad weather, these pitches really cut up and they really suffered. And, you know, there wasn't much grass on them on, on occasions. And, and Gaza was almost gliding through mud at times. Um, and I remember when he really started to, to, you know, started to make an impression on everybody. I remember a, a, an interview on Northeast Tonight by the man who discovered him. And it was um, Jackie Milburn, obviously, uh, you know, one of Newcastle's greatest ever strikers, the man who held the record before Shearer. And um, if Jackie Milburn says somebody's a good player, then you know he's a good player. And um, it's been, you know, it was it was great to see him, um, you know, in a black and white shirt. I, I remember him playing Liverpool. I mean, this is like I remember when, but I remember playing Liverpool and we, we, we won the game. I think it was George Riley got the winner. I think we won one nil, and I think I think Gaza might have played in that game. But it, it, you know, he was just a unique talent, special talent, um, and I think he would complement Rob Lee as well. I think that uh, you know the the experienced the experience of of Rob Lee and the the, the tenacious you know uh, running and battling that Rob Lee brings to the team will be complemented by Gaza, and Gaza never give it up. Um, you know, he was carrying a bit of excess weight, obviously, in his early days. But I just think Gaza would be a perfect foil in the midfield with uh, with Rob Lee. So, so that is my my centre midfield pairing. Gaza was an absolute wizard. I think he had an absolute magic about his game. I don't think there's anyone that's ever came close to Gaza, to be honest, in terms of his ability and just what he could do even off the ball. It was fantastic to watch. Um, so we'll move to the right-sided midfield. Who have you got on the right? Again, the, you know, the midfield situation was was really difficult because there were so many players who I could have played. And again, I'm not when when I managed on a Sunday, 
yeah, and it's look, football's football. When you pick teams, you pick teams. Um, you're not always thinking about right foot and left foot and who's right footed and who's left footed. Sometimes you can play on the right, you can play a player on the right who who can cut in and, and shoot with his left. So, you know, I have been I have been tossing and turning, I think, before I came on about these particular players. Um, I had four, I was left with four wingers I could have played. Um and I went with the players that probably gave us the most enjoyment and joy watching. Uh, and, you know, the ones who got us out of my seat and the ones who, who you know, were essentially um, capable of doing the, the, the unexpected. Um, and again, you'll see why when, when I named me two wingers, um, you know, why I've gone for these two. So so on the right, I've gone for, for Chris Waddle. Um, Waddle was a, actually a lazy, lazy player um, to, to watch, to fans. He... But he wasn't lazy, if that makes sense. He was, he was somebody who lurched, and it was the way that he ran and the way that he, the way that he dribbled. I mean, you can see he's got quite thick, quite thick legs. Holly, he was quite a lumbersome kind of guy, but it was the style that he had, and the way that he, the way that he ran, and and, and just the, just the way that he would drop his shoulder and then he'd be off, you know. And you can watch the footage of him, especially in his later career when he was playing for the likes of Marseille. He was, he was just he was superb playing for England. Just a big lad. He had a, a great turn and a great you know just a great football brain. But but yeah, Waddler was part of that first team that I supported the eighty three eighty four promotion team. And that season, um, you know, with Waddle, uh, Beardsley, and Keegan, it was just it was a, it was just it was just perfect. There was there was I, I'd be, you'd struggle to find a better front three. That have played for Newcastle in the history. Um, yes, there's been teams with great centre forwards. Jackie Milburn, I've mentioned. Alan Shearer, I've mentioned. You had the pair of Shearer and Ferdinand. Yeah, you, you know, even during the darker years, we had Mickey Quinn and Mark McGee um, in my time. You know, Quinn was you know Quinn was a a great goal poacher. Um, but yeah, with you know with with, with the wingers, um, I just wanted to bring something different. And I think with Chris Waddle. He would give you something different and he could score goals as well. And I think there's not enough wingers in teams who can score goals. Um, you know, and he, he he had such a wonderful season in 83, 84. And then he went on in, in 85 before he left the club. You know, as I say, Newcastle and after the first three games were top of the league. And, you know, Waddle and Beardsley uh, were taking over the mantle from Keegan and, and Terry Mack, who'd, who'd subsequently retired. Um, and, and they were there creating the goals for George Riley, for Tony Cunningham. And, you know, obviously, you know, he, he wanted to go off, though, then. He wanted to find his fame and fortune. And, uh, you know, Tottenham was Tottenham was the chosen choice to, to, to go and play down in London. But um, but we had some good years out of Chris. And when you think about it, he came from he came from Gator, um, same as me. He was also um, somebody who was working in a factory. You know, he's working in a sausage-making factory before he came to football. And he came from the non-league, which, again, I think makes it even more special. He came from Tell Law. And I just think, you know, Chris was just a, a player who I would describe as a... It was like poetry in motion watching him. Um, despite the lazy style and, and being accused of being lazy, I just think, um, you know, he, he was a great player. And, and for me, um, for, for the fact that he would pitch in with goals as well as creating goals... He was a must-to-have in my team. To complete your midfield, Steve, who have you went as left winger? 
I think a lot of people will be expecting some kind of Gallic flair in my team, but certainly not in my first 11. Um, a player who really did well at Newcastle um, prior to the, the you know, the, the entertainers really kick-starting in the Premier League um, is, is my next choice, and that's Scott Sellers. Um, Scott was somebody who essentially, you know, came in, and won the fans over just with his with his amazing, you know, his amazing ball skills. Um, his dead ball accuracy was great. I mean, we had we were lucky in that period. We had we had him. We had uh, Kevin Sheedy, um, who who was capable of a free kick. A little bit earlier, we had Liam O'Brien, um, who could bang a few goals in. But Scott Sellers, um, you know, just 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 had a, a sweet foot. Um, you know, he could he could hit the ball on a sixpence and it would it would get to somebody and. He was, he was just very, very, very talented, um, very creative player, but somebody again who you could rely on to, to you know, to get you the the odd goal, the odd match winner, um, you know, which which again is important. I think you know my midfield, um, it's got a bit of everything in there. You know, you've got you've got a left foot, you've got left footers, you've got a you've got somebody who's capable of of dead ball accuracy. Um, you've got a grafter and a goal scorer. Um, and you've got an entertainer. You've got somebody who can be creative and you know can 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 bring a little bit of everything to the game. But um, yeah, I mean, a consummate professional, somebody who got stuck in as well if need be, uh, but somebody who was you know there at the beginning of the entertainers. And you know, it, it took David Ginola's appearance um, and signing really to to drive to drive Scott Sellers away. And I've heard the story many a time on the uh, on the after dinner circuit when you know David Ginola arrives. You know, he walks down onto the training pitch, and uh, what the players used to do was they used to um, they used to test the new signing. So Beresford got the job of pinging him a really awkward ball um, at full full pelt, and Janola saw it coming and just turned and took it down on his instep and then passed it on. And um, as he as he did that, uh, Scott Sellers ran past John Beresford and just said, "That's me." You know, he, he knew he was. He knew he was on his. He knew he was on his way, um, and it took somebody special like Janola to dislodge him. But um, he was a great servant of the club. He was somebody who, as I say, you know, gave us a lot of happy memories. Uh, a derby winner as well. You know, a derby winner, which is which is always something you can look back on and say, you know, he, he, he's got that, and he's he's got that, and he's tanked. He never have to buy a drink in Newcastle again. Uh, but yeah, I think. Um, you know, with with a, with a solid back four and goalkeeper that I've got, I've got a really really creative midfield who um, can open up defences, can all score goals, but who can also create for me front two. A great team so far. I've been looking forward to seeing who you've got as the strike partnership. So, who is your first striker? Strike partnerships are really difficult. They've got to work. They've got to be. Um, they've got to complement each other. And they've got to they've got to score goals. And ultimately, with the midfield that I've got there, we know that they're going to get chances. Um, and it would be a travesty, I think, for most teams um, that anybody picks for for Newcastle United if they didn't have Alan Shearer in it. And you know, Al is the main man, still the Premier League's top goal scorer as we record this program in 2021, which is a, a major achievement in itself. Still Newcastle United's all-time greatest goal scorer. Um, the scorer of tap-ins, the scorer of penalties, the scorer of headers, the scorer of sublime and ridiculous goals, 
um, you know, scorer free kicks. Um, but England's all-time scorer, Alan Shearer, has to be in Newcastle United's dream team for me because he was a captain as well. Um, he led by example, both on and off the pitch. You just got excited knowing that Alan was playing. And when we didn't have him available, he was a big, big miss. And for me, there's so many great goals that Alan scored in his time at the club. Um, I'm lucky to say that I was privy to most of them um, as a supporter, uh, both home and away. I think my, my favourite goal um, at home has to be the goal against Everton. Um, you know, the fact that it was Shula Ramiobi who got an assist off that was is bizarre. But, you know, it was just a hell of a strike. Um, the goal against Aston Villa, when he hit it from a ridiculous angle um, past Schmeichel and he was rooted to the spot, is another one. His celebration against Man United when we won 5-0 um, and he's, you know, his he's reaction towards the, the fans. Um, his last goal, I was there down at... Uh, the stadium alight when uh, when he scored his you know he scored his penalty um, and then was subsequently hacked down and never to be seen again. Um, the goal that you know took him past Jackie Milburn's record, I was there for that, which again was a which was fa was was fantastic. But I was also there for his debut goal when he played you know at, at home against Wimbledon. His home debut, his, his home first goal at St James's Park, and it was a free kick I think against Wimbledon. And um, again, just just great memories. Obviously, didn't win anything. Um, you know, when we saw, when we all stood outside that day at St James's Park, I think it was 15,000 of us at the, the Leaser's End when Alan Robson announced him on the stage at the back of the Leaser's End. And, you know, the, the 15 million pound man came out. We all thought, this is it. We're going to win something. And this is the man who's going to bring us a trophy. Um, I think he probably even thought the same, you know. But it wasn't to be. He leaves us with some great memories from semi-finals. Um, you know, the, the goal he scored against Sheffield United, where he bundled it into the net uh, to get us to Wembley. Um, subsequently, the next semi-final, when we played Spurs, and he scored a, another sublime goal in the semi-final. And we weren't expected to beat Spurs, but we did. Um, but the two cup finals he got to, it wasn't meant to be. We, we went up against the treble winners, Man United, and the double winners in Arsenal. And... Um, you know, the closest he came was hitting the post in one of those finals. Um, you know, it's a case of what might have been. Great captain, as I say, great personality. Um, again, somebody who ran through the pain barrier for us. Probably the most memorable memory of Alan Shearer doesn't involve a goal. Um, I guess it involves uh, a set two down at the Gallagher end with Roy Keane. Uh, Roy Keane, of course, who captain Man United and who you know, was, you know, epitomised everything that we hated about Man United at that particular time. They were our big rivals. But the fact that he just went head-to-head -head with them and, you know, uh, Roy Keane ended up getting sent off was 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 an absolute belter. Like, you know, to actually just be there and see that happen uh, was was great. But um, so many happy memories of Alan. Um, and, you know, I just wish we had somebody like him and the team now to, to, to score score the goals, you know, for, for the first team. Will we ever see anybody like him again? I very much doubted at Newcastle, but um, you know, just pleased to say that I did see him. But yeah, he's he's my uh, he's my first striker. A natural goal scorer, you can't get any better than Shearer, and I think that's backed up by numbers. Um, I have an idea of who you might put alongside Shearer, but um, I'll see if I'm right. Who have you put alongside Alan Shearer? 
Difficult one again because of the the fact that you know your partnerships are so difficult um, in in football. You've got to get the right people in to play with that uh, particular person, and it comes down to Lincoln as well, I guess, from the midfield to the to the forward line. Um, I think if you play two out and out strikers, it doesn't always work. Although, as I've already mentioned, Mick Quinn, Mark McGee, you know, probably uh, two very similar players. Um, although there was a degree of creativity from Mark McGee, he could he could jinx in and you know, could jink in and, and slot the ball through. Whereas Mickey Quinn was very much a poacher. Shearer was, you know, although Shearer had a vast array of talents, you know, he was he was known as a poacher. That's how he got a lot of his goals. Um, so I felt that I needed that link between the midfield and the forward line, but somebody who could play, you know, in either role. If if I had to change the formation, this person could probably play off. Um, this place, this person could also do a job in midfield, really. Uh, but this person, of course, um, you know, could also score goals, and 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 that was that was vital. But just playing off Shearer um, in my dream team to, to, to finish off me eleven, I've got Peter Beardsley. Um, he's my favourite all-time Newcastle player. He's somebody essentially who um, not only um, you know not only helped make the careers of many others at St James's Park, but you know, came back not once but twice to, to his hometown club and, and did a sterling job on both occasions. And, you know, in that early early spell that he had at the club in 83, 84, I've already mentioned, you know, how well he played alongside the likes of Kevin Keegan uh, and Chris Waddle and how he complimented them. You know, he, he, he basically single-handedly, um, along with a guy called Paul Goddard, who didn't quite make my, my squad, um, you know, kept Newcastle up. And, uh, you know, he was just... Just, just you know, just some of the goals he scored, some of the some of the work rate he had, he put in, absolutely fantastic. When he came back the second time, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. And um, you know, you you think that David Kelly was the man who who they let go uh, to bring Peter Beardsley in, and and Kelly had such a great season in the promotion season. So for Beardsley to come in, it was scratching my heads a little bit, thinking, wow, is this is this is this a really wise move? Couldn't have, couldn't have been further from. You know, um, you know why? Why I would even disbelieve that he would have, would have done a good job. I don't know, but he came in and he just hit the ground running. It was like he'd never been away. And we had a rebirth of Peter Beardsley at Newcastle, and he was absolutely superb. And that season with Andy Cole, he um, he made most of his goals, and and Andy Cole just must have thought it was all his Christmases rolled into one. You know, and he broke Huey Gallagher's scoring record in one season. Really down to the fact that Peter Beardsley was putting the balls in, you know, time and time again. But yeah, look, he's a Geordie. He knows what it's all about to, to play for his hometown club. He's somebody who essentially is, um, you know, he, he, again, another one who bleeds black and white. Um, I like the fact as well with Peter that he, you know, he, he, he has an addiction to chocolate and sweets, but but he was a clean, a clean living kind of guy. Um, you know, he, he was the he was the young Steve Howie's young, if you like. Steve Howie would be getting you out in the drink, whereas Peter would be, you know, maybe the sensible one. Um, and I think you always need that kind of combination within the dressing room. You need a little bit of everything, you know, you need a little bit of everything in the ingredients to make the perfect team. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that Peter went on to have such a great career, a distinguished career, you know, going to Liverpool and winning the trophies that he did, especially, um, you know, with a, with a wonderful team that they had down there when he, when he left Newcastle. I think that the experience as well that Peter brings to, to that team are, are, is superb, you know. But again, it's that link up between him and the uh, the midfield 
in particular, which I think was important in, in selecting him for my team. So, you know, we know he scores goals. There's goals in that team from the midfield. Got two people up front who can score goals. Um, and I've got the odd, you know, the odd goal being pitched in from centre halves. It's it's goal heavy, really. Um, you know, so yeah, that that completes my my one to eleven. Goal heavy in contrast to the current team. I think that's fair to say. Um, Beardsley, someone that's very much like Gaza. Again, someone that's very talented. Um, really, really gets you off your seat in the game. So I think it's a very would be a very entertaining sight to watch. A lot of big personalities in that team. I think it's fair to say. So. Um, who have you tasked with the job of managing it? Managing the team, dead easy. Um, you know, there's only one man who who I could I could have as manager, and that's Kevin Keegan. Um, uh, because you know that guy knew what it was like to you know to play um, you know at the highest level. You know, European Footballer of the Year twice, um, won you know accolades and trophies. Um, you know, not just in England but across the continent, and somebody who you know essentially knows how to manage a football team, and he could manage the entertainers, and he can manage big personalities. Um, and I think as well because you know the you know the likes of Waddle and Beardsley in particular, he, he played with them. Um, you know, he would have that that connection with them and that relationship with them. But he, yeah, I, there's nobody giving me the brand of football that Kevin's given. Um, so Bobby comes a close second, um, but I, I couldn't let sentimentality get in the way on that. I think um, I had to really genuinely look at and say since 1983-84. Who has given you the most pleasure as a football manager at Newcastle United on a consistent basis? And the answer had to be Kevin Keegan. And I think he'd do a great job. I think he'd set them up. Um, and, and, you know, again, he, he would go with the attacking philosophy. And I think if I was his chairman, he would he'd be looking at that going, you, you've, you've, you've served as well with these players. I'm, I'm very happy. And I think, he'd, I, think he'd, I think he'd get us that elusive trophy with that team. Could only be one man, really, couldn't it? Kevin Keegan pretty much picks himself, I think. Um, absolute legend of that era, certainly. Um, now onto the bench. Who have you got on the bench as your first player? Well, I've gone for five subs, which is what most people have done in the dream teams. I could have extended it, but I, I thought, look, I'll stick with five as well. Um, and there's there's plenty of strength and depth, and I've, I've you know I did go into a bit of thought with you know with with this as as to who who I might need if, if if there was an injury or suspension or whatever. So goalkeeper, um, I've gone for Shea Given. Um, you know, Shea Given was you know the, the best goalkeeper in in uh, you know in Newcastle's history as far as appearances is concerned, and you know one of those dependable goalkeepers. He another international, another man who was a great shot stopper, um, and just somebody who again came to Newcastle, fell in love with the area and, and still has many connections here. Um, not afraid to, to give his back four, as you can see in that photograph, um, a piece of his mind if things weren't going according to plan or going well. And um, somebody who, again, from a goalkeeping perspective, could actually captain the team if need be. Um, you know, a blue, one of your blue chip players, I guess, one of the blue chip brigade, somebody who could, you know, if need be, um, you know, step step into the into the breach and help. And I just think, yeah, sheer given, although he didn't make my my number one position for for, for reasons I've already explained, um, is a good able deputy. And if there was anything uh, anything wrong with Pavel, whether he suffered a, a poor run in form or whether he got injured, I know that sheer given could step in and and um, you know do equally as well uh, in that position. So easy pick for me as a goalkeeper, uh, sheer given as the uh, the substitute goalkeeper. Defensively wise, who else is on the bench? 
Okay, um, I've gone for one one centre-half um, who could come in if need be. And the reason this guy didn't make the start in 11 is because injuries were following him around when he came to Newcastle. Uh, somebody, again, who could be a leader. Um, probably the, the best centre-half I've seen pull on a Newcastle United shirt in my time as a fan. Um, you know, nobody better in terms of, uh, you know, just just the way that he played the game, and that's Jonathan Woodgate. Um, he he really was somebody who you had to see him to, to believe him. And uh, I just remember him signing. I couldn't quite believe that Woodgate had chosen to come to Newcastle because we weren't, you know, we were on a bit of a decline at that that point um, after the you know after the the the, the, the period in the nineties, and we were, you know, we we were flirt, flirting with European positions and European football and. I just thought it might be difficult to sign him. But, um, yeah, we, we got him in. We brought him in. Uh, but as I say, we didn't quite see the, the best of Jonathan Woodgate at Newcastle. Um, and that is why uh, he didn't make the start in 11. But I think he'd be a very able deputy. He'd be able to come on. He'd be able to captain the team again. You know, you can see that I've got that running theme of, you know, people being able to come in and do a particular job, but also, if need be, be a voice in the dressing room, you know, and it's a, a, a bit of competition in there with, with the players who I've selected. Um, but I don't think these people would clash either. I think they would get on quite well. And I think, again, the competition for places would mean that if somebody did drop out due to bad form or injury, the person come in would be able to fit straight in with the, you know, with the team. So Jonathan Woodgate is, uh, is my main defensive cover on that bench. I think the fact that you've got so many potential captains in that side is a really, really good thing. Certainly important and quite a competitive side as well. In terms of the midfield, who have you put on the bench? Well, I went for another versatile player. Um, I've gone for a couple of more midfielders and I've gone for another centre-forward um, in the other three substitute positions. So, Mr Versatility um, in, the, in the early days of, of Keegan's management um, was Barry Venison. Um, and Venez again was a captain at Newcastle at, at some point he was um, another leader of men uh, but somebody who could play back for a midfield um, he was comfortable in either position again somebody who had previously played at Sunderland and had done quite well in the 80s um, played at Liverpool at the top level and he was another born winner somebody who could win something which I think is really important in a team if you're, if you're looking to win things yourself Signing born winners is a good way of doing it because they don't they don't choke when it comes to crossing the line on winning that trophy. Uh, but Venas was was a, again he was another socialite, somebody who would light a night out, somebody who would be the laughing joke in the dressing room, and somebody who would would essentially you know know when to work hard, but also know when to play hard too. Um, but you give a hundred percent on the pitch, and I mean. Probably another person who springs to mind, although he was quite quiet, not really captain material, was Paul Bracewell at that time. Paul Bracewell was another uh, ex-Sunderland player who came to Newcastle and did a sterling job in that in that early part of Keegan's time as a manager. Um, but yeah, I think with Barry Venison, I think uh, on and off the pitch, you just get 150% uh, commitment um, and just somebody who, again... You know, wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad shout to have on the bench uh, with my team if if we needed uh, to replace somebody. And you know, with the exception of goalkeeper Barry would come on and give it a go. And and that's all I would be asking from my team and from my players. Who's alongside Venison on the bench? Um, I have gone for a bit of Gallic flair because, 
like everybody who um, has, has had their dream teams, um, I do have a favourite Frenchman uh, who played for Newcastle. And it came, I guess it comes as no surprise um, that it's David Ginola or David. Um, that guy came to Newcastle and he was only here a short period of time. But the, the flair that he gave us and the fact that he took over from somebody in my first team, which is Scott Sellers, um, tells you all you need to know and tells you how good he was. And to, to get Sellers out of the team, you know, this guy had to be good. But he just oozed flair. He oozed confidence. Um, and yeah, he wasn't a defender. He wasn't somebody who would track back and graft and, and help you. He was somebody who just wanted to push forward. And I think, you know, I think he would be a great impact substitute for my team if, um, you know, if we, we had to change things around a bit. And I mean, the fact that I could probably bring Waddler off and put David on or, or bring Scott Sellers off and bring him on and, and switch Waddler to the other flank, I just think it would give you so much. It would just give you so much, um, you know, diversity. It would just give you something a little bit different. And I think... You know, if we, if we were like, if this team was playing in a hypothetical game and, you know, we were 1 0 down with 20 minutes to go and we're chasing an equaliser, and you could bring David on and, you know, the, the fullback would probably have nightmares, you know, seeing him come on, thinking, dear me, how this team's, this team's got too much for us, you know, and we might even turn in, we'll win. But it, yeah, David was great. And I mean, you know, he scored some, he scored some sublime goals. I think the one that I remember, the most isn't the Man United one, although that was a great one in the 5-0 win, but it's the Ferenc-Faros goal, which again, many people will have seen in the European game at St. James's Park. Um, you know, again, if, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's on YouTube and it's just a, it's just a fascinating goal. Brilliant goal, technically brilliant. Um, and he had, he had a good career moving on. You know, he, he, again, another one who, who, who was wooed by the, the London lights, um, you know, after Keegan had left, uh, things, things were dismantled. Uh, by Daglish and Co. And, um, you know, we didn't quite see the best of him after that, which was disappointing. I would love to have come. And I think the rumour is that, the, that he'd, you know, he could have gone to Barcelona, but Keegan persuaded him to stay. And then uh, Keegan duly left, leaving a, a very disappointed David. So, you know, he, he's a great player in Newcastle's history. Um, somebody who, you know, you know would, would do well in this team. And again, I think any of the players dropping out, him going in, it's a perfect replacement. It's a, it's a, it's a good shoe-in, you know. Having someone like Ginola on the bench would certainly terrify a lot of defences, that's for sure. Um, finally, as your fifth player on the bench, who have you got as a striker? Well, of course, um, I mentioned him earlier because the partnership between Alan and this guy, um, you know, albeit uh, another short pairing, uh, you know, it was just phenomenal the amount of goals they scored, almost 60 goals they scored in one season together. Um, this guy could play with Alan or he could play with Peter, depending on what you know what I decided to do, and that's Les Ferdinand. The two the two best strikers in the in the entertainment era, and I think such a laid back character as well. I mean, this guy had the number nine shirt before Alan signed, and um, you know it takes a special character, especially somebody who was a goal scorer himself and had done so well at Queens Park Rangers um, before he came to Newcastle, um, for him to actually give up the number nine shirt for Alan tells you a lot about him and I think his character is obviously his football skills have got him uh, got him apart in my squad but you know the fact that we've actually got him in as a as a substitute I know some people will be disappointed but I think people can understand why um Beersley's my favorite player I wanted Les as part of it and I just think either way he could you know he could he could play with Alan he could play with Peter and I, I don't think would go far wrong so I think, you know, he's, he's a welcome addition to my squad. 
Um, I got so much pleasure out of watching him as a, as a Newcastle fan. Loved the way that he used to jump for the ball. I think aerial threat's a big, a big thing for me. I mean, Rob Lee was good with his head. Alan was good with his head. You know, Les is good with his head. And I think, you know, I've, I've got all angles covered. You know, shots from outside the goal, penalties and, um, you know, and, and you know, even free kicks. So every, it's got a bit of everything on, on and off the bench. Notable mention, I guess, to Andy Cole, um, who, who had a fantastic career at Newcastle in those early days and, and broke Huey Gallagher's record. Um, I didn't quite feel that he, he, you know, you know, he was worthy of my team, um, especially after what he did when he left the club. It does leave a sour taste in the mouth. I'm singing cheer up Kevin Keegan. I remember I was there that day and seeing him do it and that left a bit of sour taste. And I guess the other notable absence, but I, because I was quite harsh on myself and stuck to the, the five subs rule, on, on my on my dream team was Gary Speed. Um great great player, but I always rated Rob Lee over Gary Speed. Um he was my favorite player. Um if I could have had a couple of extra I probably would have had Cole and Speedo in. But um from the from the older days David McCreary was probably another player who I um denied about about having him in my my starting lineup. And as a goalkeeper probably Kevin Carr was another one who you know I, I had rattling around in my head because he still holds the record for um, uh, you know the, the clean sheets record at St James's Park six games. So yeah, I mean there was lots of people nearly made it, but um, you know I'm I'm pleased with my one to eleven, pleased with my bench, and certainly pleased with my manager. Yeah, it is difficult to pick a team, which I found out as well when I did mine. Pleased to see Sir Les is in that team because um, I was expecting him to be alongside Chiba in the starting eleven. Got a bit of a surprise when it was Beardsley, but he definitely deserved to be in that team for sure. Um, great team. Shame we don't have it now. Love doing it with you, Steve. And um, I certainly think we could have got a trophy with that side. Well, thanks for doing it, Holly. I am going to give a mention to the sponsors. Big shout out to Spider VPN for all your internet security. Please Google Spider VPN. They come up at the top of the search list. Uh, also, skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pays you go waste collection. Also, thanks to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 01913897245. And to Garden of Healing Dispensary CBD. Uh, hemp and cannabinoid specialists, www.thegoh.com. Thanks to Arcot Interiors as well for all your kitchen needs. They're based on Heaton Road. Uh, Google Arcot Interiors uh, and they will give you a good quote. And uh, qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle and the guys who run our website and ufcmatters.com. Big uh, shout out as well to Jab Signature, jabsignature.co.uk, who make all of our flyers. First time visitor to the channel, please click Newcastle Legends down below and you can subscribe for free. Hit the thumb up to like the video, click share to share to your other social media and drop into the comments box to uh, give your comments on my uh, dream team. See whether you liked it or not. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and on Spotify, Podbean and the rest. Uh, make sure you pop onto there 24 hours after the show and you will be able to hear the dream team again. NUSC fans, foodbank.co.uk match day bucket is still up and running. So uh, please make a virtual donation uh, to them and uh, you can do that 365 days of the year. Holly, been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for doing it with us and uh, I will see you again soon. Take care, Holly. No problem. Take care. Bye.
critics attack It feels like I've been talking to myself again But it's the 